90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 95. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Jake Hirschman, former Division I baseball player, author, podcast host, and sports management professional, to talk about overcoming a season-ending injury and teaching himself to trust the rehab process, even when fear presented itself. It was this experience that motivated Jake to co-author 20 Secrets to Success for NCAA student-athletes who won't go pro, and provide a framework for student-athletes that will be transitioning out of their sport and moving on from their dreams. Hey, Jake, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Grant? I'm doing good. I'm really excited to have you on my show and really excited to talk about just your mindset uh, as a former D1 baseball player, a pitcher. But I'm going to talk about a little bit more about your mindset and how that, as an athlete, and how that actually helped you life after sports and talk a little bit about your book that you wrote, 20 Secrets to Success for NCAA Student-Athletes Who Won't Go Pro. So I'm really Really excited to learn about that and just your life and your journey in sports because you've done so much as an athlete and as a professional through the world of sports. Yeah, no, absolutely. Really excited to be here, Grant, and uh, certainly looking forward to, to sharing some some wisdom of some sort, I guess, right? Since I love I- it. I love it. Well, uh, one of my favorite topics that I always talk about on the front end of my show, and it's about mental toughness. So what does mentally tough mean to you? Mentally tough means, you know, for me, it it was one of those things where I was always the guy who didn't have as much talent as anyone else. Uh, I always had to work harder than anyone else just to get to the same place as as everyone. And for me, being mentally tough was, you know, being able to get through the moments of adversity in which maybe I was facing, but others weren't. And, And for me, it was how do I, how do I, tackle the the thoughts that are um crossing my my thought path you know to uh put obstacles in front of myself or to tell myself i can't do something or whatever the case might be uh it's it's how do you overcome that and uh, i think you know to your point earlier about where we'll dive into where that's coming into play in in the business world is um you know there's a lot of obstacles that can be put in front of you and and how do you um, mentally, you know, get through those situations and, and, and overcome them. Absolutely. You know, and it's uh, be- beautifully said, cause I, I think about being mentally tough is how do, how do we deal with adversity and, you know, how do we sit in the middle of it when, if it's chaotic or stressful, or there's a lot of pressure, how do we actually sit in that eye of the hurricane, the emotional hurricane and conquer it with our breath? And, and I, and I love it that you bring up, uh, adversity and, and how to actually overcome that. Yeah, I think for me, like with the adversity piece, and and I'll I'll dive into my career a little bit on the field. Where my sophomore year of college, I I played at a Division three school in Southern California, um, tore my rotator cuff, and and for me that was such a moment of adversity in which, you know, not only was I facing the physical uh, barriers, but I was facing the mental barriers of you know, can I not play anymore? Like, what is my, what does my career hold for me? You know, I, I was one of those guys who always thought that they could continuously get better. And then, you know, people would always tell you, if you just work harder and you get better, like you never know what can happen. And, um, that's great to believe in. And, and I, and it's all, 
you know, fine at the time, but then when it happens to you and, and that injury happens and you then are told by the doctor, you can't play anymore unless you figure out a different way to throw, uh, which for me, I had to figure out how to throw submarine, you know, that was a lot of adversity. I had to change my body type. I had to go to yoga. I had to, I mean, I had to do all these things that I didn't necessarily think I had to, um, prior. And I also had no idea what the future held either. Um, and so, you know, not, I think one of the things that we always, we always talk about, uh, in the mental toughness world is, contr- is controlling what you can control, but there were so many uncontrollables for me at that point. You know, there were so many, uh, things that I couldn't control, um, necessarily other than my attitude and my effort and what I was going to, you know, try and go forward with every day after that. Absolutely. You know, and it's funny because I, I did see a picture when I was doing some research on you. I saw a picture of, of you uh, doing a little sidewinder, and I was like, man, that reminds me of Dan Quisenberry back in the day. And, and, and I can only imagine what you were going through because one of my closest friends who actually was drafted um, by the Angels out of high school, and, you know, he was a very, very large man, like six, I think he's six, six now, but he was six, five back then. And, um, and he had a normal delivery, and, and they changed it to, to the submarine and it just there was a lot of things that he had to adjust so when you think about adjusting and dealing with that kind of adversity how did it affect your confidence to to, to completely perform differently on the mound yeah I mean I think it's one of those things where um, you know, I was actually writing the other day and it was, uh, the preparation in which you take creates confidence and being able to succeed then creates more confidence. And, um, when you haven't done something ever, right? Like I, like I, I practiced and I trained and, you know, I had to do that for 15 months until I got into a game and then you get into the game and you're like, well, shoot, I don't know if I can actually do this. I can face a real batter, you know, all those, all those things that go through your mind, um, first time I got to pitch was in a summer league, uh, going in before I went into grad school as a grad transfer. And, um, I went one, two, three, and, and that was like one of the most unbelievable feelings ever because you for 15 months are wondering if you can do something, uh, and if you're going to have any confidence to do it. And then what's interesting is once you do it, your confidence goes through the roof and, and it's like, no one can touch you after that. And so then it's a mentality and it's a mindset of, um, not I'm the greatest, but it's more, you know, at this point in time, when I'm standing on the rubber, no one's going to beat me. Um, and you have that confidence where now and now in the business setting, right, you go into a presentation. If you're, if you're pitching something in sales, like you have the confidence that they're going to want to buy it on the other end. Um, or if you're, you know, in a meeting and you need to sell something internally to get things, you know, get something done, like you're going to have the confidence that the preparation and the time and the, you know, the practice or the research that you put behind it, like that's going to ultimately make you successful. You know, I, I have a lot of empathy for you because not only, you know, playing baseball, basketball, football, um, you know, I put my body through a, a lot and I had to deal with a lot leaving the game of football. But when I played, um, you know, playing baseball and football for a long time, it was a wear and tear on my shoulder. I was a quarterback and I was a pitcher, um, also an outfielder as well. But I, I tore my rotator cuff and I remember 
not only remembering that whole journey, but I also work with a lot of athletes that are injured and how do I, how do I get them to ha- get that confidence back into their body and confidence back into their injury like where they hurt themselves. So with your story, not only did you have to completely like re-engineer the way you played the game, but you also had to deal with emotionally and mentally the, the injury. And you spent 15, mi- 15 months really like trying to build that confidence. What was that like? Was it, um, did you, did you feel like, was there always that like second guessing in your mind? Like, what if I hurt myself again? Or it, you know, am I going to have enough velocity? Am I strong enough? Did any of those thoughts come up for you while you were, you know, on your path getting back to quote unquote normal? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it was interesting when I was when I was at Redlands and I was, you know, practicing, I had actually coached the local high school so that I could still throw bullpens and, you know, play catch with someone. And and I was still able to use the field at at my college and practice with the team and stuff like that. But, um, you know, one of the one of the first thoughts is like, what is everyone going to think about how I'm throwing? Like, it looks so weird. Right. Or or you think it looks one way or you feel it looks like one way but it could look completely different it look might looks funny or stupid right and um one you got to get over that real quick and then two it's the uh it's the process of like going through i remember one of my roommates at the time i you know when i first started this whole journey i said look i go i don't know where the ball is going to (laughs) go i said but i need you to play catch with me um and i this is the only way i'm going to figure this out so I remember uh, we actually went in our backyard of the, of the house we were in at the time, and and this was the first time I ever played catch that way. And I threw the ball over the fence, <laughs> and the second one went right into the ground. And he kind of just looked at me, and he's like, "Man, this is gonna be a long journey." And you know, I, I'll I can't ever thank that guy enough because he actually ended up being on that summer team I played with uh, that that summer, where um, he saw me do what I did and where I started, which was really cool. Mm. Uh, but, you know, he sacrificed those 30, 45 minutes every day to go throw with me. And I can just imagine being on the other side of me going, where the hell is this ball going to go? <laughs> you know, it could be at my feet, it could be over my head. Like I'm going to have to run, you know, hundred yards after this thing. Like, right. So it was a, it was a journey. And, and, you know, one of the funniest things you probably don't realize this, but like you end up throwing, upside down like yes you're throwing upside down um in the sense of like your arm slot but you also then tilt your head so you're also your sight completely changes and you're actually looking sideways which is kind of weird to think about but it's something totally different yeah and you're also you're dealing with the the way you're transferring your weight the way you're moving your body and, and having that to be balanced is it's different uh you're just moving differently so you know when you when you were bringing up the throwing that ball over, you know your friend's head, it just brought back a memory because it it wasn't me coming back from an injury per se, but you know as I was getting into my career as a as a quarterback, I started to kind of drift away from the game of baseball. I started doing more track just because I wanted to get faster, and but I was alternating in high school. Like one year I'd, I'd do track, one year I'd do baseball, one year I'd do track, and then it was my senior year. And it felt like going into my last year, I was like, you know, I'm never going to play baseball again. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just do it one more time. And I remember that whole process of I was getting nervous because I'm like, I haven't thrown a baseball. I haven't swung a bat. I haven't done any of that in a long time. 
So I was getting a little bit of that negative self-talk was, was coming up for me. And I remember telling my dad, because my dad was more of a baseball guy, and he was really excited that I was getting into it or getting back into it. And I told him, like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go actually throw the ball for the first time with some of my friends. And, and he was really excited because it was, I don't know, a couple weeks before tryouts. And he, he was like, just remember, don't throw the baseball like a football. And I was like, I, I didn't even think about what he was thinking. So, but, but when you think about it, you throw a baseball, it's more of a circular delivery, whereas you throw a football, it's more from your ear. Mm-hmm. And that first, that first throw, and it was to a guy named Ryan Rodriguez, I launched this thing over his head because I was throwing it like a football. And I remember, I'm like, oh, this is going to, like, I had to I had to rewire my brain to how to throw something. And it seemed like I lost a lot of velocity. Like, I, for me to, like, wind my arm back, it just, you'd think that you'd have more velocity. But it, it took me a, a couple weeks, even when I was in the tryouts, just, like, to get my confidence back and just feel normal and feel comfortable. Yeah, the velocity was definitely the hard part. I think I got up to, like, 78, which... It's pretty good for for submarine, um, and until you until you watch some of the guys who were throwing like submarine sidearm in the bigs, and they're throwing at ninety two, and you're like, okay, that's that's a different, that's a different animal, right? Right, it's a different level for sure. Well, when you uh, when you think about reflecting on your career as as a baseball player, now I know you just you just shared something with my listeners, which to me sounds like a a big mental win. But outside of what you just shared, what is your biggest mental win as an athlete? And what was your biggest mental fail? Oof. So I, from a mental failure perspective, um, I think one of the things that when you, when you look back, uh, and this, this is kind of what got me to, to the book that I wrote, but the mental failure was, um, you know, my first two years, I would say until I can, I think the reason why I am where I am today is because of my injury. And if it wasn't for my injury, I think that I would end up somewhat in the category of what I wrote my book about in that, you know, I thought that, you know, if I just got better, if I just kept practicing, if I just, you know, a uh, couple more innings in the game, a couple more wins, like whatever the case might have been, that I could have gone pro, right? And so the mental failure to not realize and recognize, like, okay, you're at a D3 school, um, you you know, you transferred to a D1 school as a grad transfer, like, it that doesn't really mean anything. Like you, like, and for me, going into the player side, working for the Mariners and the player development side, actually seeing what all that looks like, like I definitely can look back and go, wow, that was a mental failure to not understand where I stood. Right. But it's all, it's hard to, when you don't know what you don't know. Um, and so then my biggest mental win was actually when I was in grad school at Ohio university, um, you know, I was playing that fall and, you know, I did, did really well. And, uh, it was one of those things where I got to the point where I was, I, I could have made the team, but I was going to have to really, um, try to make the travel roster and, you know, we had 22 pitchers on the, on the roster. And like, it just was one of those things where my, my mental state, you know, during my freshman, sophomore year would have said, Oh, you can do it. You can, you know, you can get after it. You can figure out how to make it to the top. But the, the big mental win for me was actually realizing, okay, where do I really stand? What am I doing? I'm in grad school. What do I want to focus on? 
you know, can I coach? Is there a way to actually utilize the experience that I have and the experience that's right in front of me to help myself in my career? And so that for me was a mental win in, in the sense of, you know, being able to um, recognize and realize that there is more to just playing. Um, and that sometimes it's not about going pro. It's just being able to learn the lessons, uh, from what you, you know, learned on the, on the field or on the court or where, you know, whatever sport you played, um, to ultimately help you in life after that. And for me, that was the biggest mental win was, was finally being able to realize that and understanding that, um, it's not easy to realize. It's not easy to recognize that, you know, you, you know, at some point have to just transition, right? Like it's, there's no like, Oh, let me, let me, let me do this for two years. And then I'm going to like slowly retire and, and, you know, bail out of the game, like big poppy. And then I'm going to go do something else. I mean, it's, it right. just depends at the, the switch of a finger, you know? Well, you know, before we get into to a little bit more of your experience when you did transition out, um, because I find this fascinating with just the trajectory of your career in sports. I mean, obviously, you know, you played a lot of baseball throughout your life, but you've in integrated yourself in working at the Major League Baseball level, PGA Tour, NHL, the collegiate circuit. Uh, you know, you've done a lot of cool things within the world of sports. When did that start? When did your love for sports start as a kid? I mean, I always, it's funny, like, you know, you would ask, like, what cartoons did you watch when you were younger? And my answer was always ESPN. Like, I think I, I think <laughs> my parents told me I watched the same episode of ESPN. You know how it goes in a, in like, a, yeah. in a cycle, like you, you could watch the seven, the eight and the 9am and it's all the same show. I think I watched it like three times in a row every morning. Um, but it, so what was interesting is like, I was this big sports fan growing up. Right. But then it quickly turned into once I got into college and I was doing my business degree, I'm like, Oh, I don't want to do any of this business stuff. Um, accounting or finance or, um, global business or what, you know, whatever you were learning about at the time. Right. Uh, and I was like, I want to get into the business of sports. Right. And so my sophomore year, ironically enough, when that, um, you know, unforeseeing the injury, that fall of my sophomore year, I started reaching out to tons of people on LinkedIn and connecting with people and using my connections to, uh, I did an internship that spring with the minor league baseball team in town. And, um, later on the next year, did one with the minor league hockey team and then worked at the Rose bowl and special Olympics. Like I, I was able to leverage my contacts to get to those experiences. Um, but once I, once I got those experiences and realized what working in sports was, that's when I truly fell in love with it because you realize that sports is something much bigger than just what the product is on the field. When you really think about it, it's a place and a, and an event in which somehow congregates a ton of people, just like I was probably one of a million sitting in front of the TV watching sports center at 7am, right? Like it's something that somehow it gets everyone together that it's really hard to do that otherwise with with something else in life yeah no i agree i agree now you brought up and, and I, I totally agree with this and i think a lot of athletes that have been on my show agree with this but you know when you play any kind of sport you you learn lessons and it teaches you lessons in life and you talked about that earlier how the game of baseball had helped you you know with your transition and where you're at right now if you were to share like that one attribute 
what what you got from baseball that's helped you right now in your professional life? What would that be? Because I know for me, I would say leadership as a quarterback, man, like that was the thing that I got the most out of playing football because when I got into my into my corporate life, um, it helped me so much to lead teams and just have confidence because I had all that experience from the game of football. Yeah, I think that one attribute is getting better every day. Um, and it's figuring out how to get better every day. Like there's always something you can learn. There's always something new you can do, new you can try, you know, people you can meet, people you can pick their brain. Like, you know, when I was throwing submarine, I, um, I, I it was funny. I started to watch the Dan Quisenberry's and the Brad Ziegler's and the Chad Bradford's of the world on YouTube. Um, and then I met, uh, a couple of, of, coaches that had actually thrown submarine themselves and so then I started to get taught by them and it was one of those things where I was like okay I can learn what I what I want on video then I can learn what I want from the coaches then I can try and just go pick the catcher's brain because he's seeing it from a different angle and I so I think you know the the attribute is just trying to get better every day and I know that sounds really cliche but um it's you know even if it's something as I and I did this the other day I went out, it was a Sunday, I went out and I sat at the beach for an hour and it was actually kind of chilly. And so someone would be like, why did you want to go to the beach? Well, it was a place where I could, I knew I could get better that day because I sat down and I started to try and reach back out to a ton of different people and connect with a bunch of people that I maybe hadn't done in a while, um, or, you know, a couple months or whatever the case might be. And, and I think around this time of Thanksgiving and being thankful and all that, so for me, it was like, okay, how can I get better by trying to stay connected, right? And that was like my one thing for the day. Um, and it's, and it's, you can apply it to kind of anything in, in life that you do, whether it's in the gym or, you know, at yoga or with your family or whatever the case might be. But that's, that's kind of the one thing that I've, I've learned is there's always one way to get better every day. Yeah, I, I think it's beautiful. And sometimes getting better it comes from creating space in our life and, and reflection. And, and to be honest with you, I teach that. I, I always, that we talk about that, getting better 1%, get, get 1% better every day. And I think part of that, that whole 1% is that you have to reflect. If, if you don't, I call it work on, build on. If, if you're not looking at the things that you did well and the things you need to improve on, how are you supposed to get better? And I think, you know, and when you were sharing that story, I was like, that's pretty cool, going to a beach. Because going to a beach is a beautiful place where you can create space, reflect, and and just be with you and and be authentic. And and you know what? As much as that sounds cool, it takes a lot of energy to do that. Some people have a hard time making that decision just to go to a beach and to get into themselves and get into where their feet are. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it takes, you know, it takes the the mindset to get in, you know, it's one thing to just go there, but then it also there's that mindset like you've talked about of settling in and actually doing what you're intending to do and being present, um, and understanding what you're, what you're trying to achieve or what you're trying to get better at. Big time, big time. So let's, let's talk about your book. Uh, it's really cool. You wrote a book that's called 20 secrets, 20 secrets to success for NCAA student athletes who, who won't go pro. And you wrote it with a few other people, Rick Burton, Norma Riley, Andy Dolich, and Heather Lawrence. What was the motivation in writing this book? Yeah, so what's funny is you, you, you kind of stumbled a little bit on the title. And as I thought about the title when we were when we were putting this together, 
I was like, man, that's a long title. But <laughs> at the same time, like it makes sense, right? Like, right. like you got you got to say it all, because um, that's what it that's what it exemplifies. I, actually, the the story behind the book was I was I was actually in New York. Uh, I was at my grandparents' house at the time visiting for the weekend, and I was in grad school. It was over the summer, and and uh, I was about to go to bed, and I just had this thought. And it was like one of those things where you see it in a movie, but like the bedtime thought where you got to write it down on your phone before you forget. Otherwise, you're going to hit your pillow and you won't remember what you were thinking of. Yeah. Um, and that was actually it. It was like, man, I want to do something about like the student athlete success and the transition. Like there's something there. You know, I've been gifted with plenty of mentors in my life to help me succeed and coaches and all that. But then the transition piece of you know, I was going through, I probably had been like six months in at the time of the transition of like, I hadn't picked up a ball or a glove or anything. And, um, you know, you're sitting there going, man, like what, like, who am I? What do I do? Like, what, what do I want to be? You know, all those sorts of natural thoughts, at least I think, um, uh, as you reflect, you know, like you were talking about earlier. And, and so then I happened to have the opportunity to, to be a graduate assistant uh, with the Ohio, Ohio University Sports Administration program um, during grad school, where I went to my boss Norm at the time, and and he was working on a bunch of different projects, and he says, "Is there anything you want to do?" I go, "Yeah, I want to write this book," and he's like, "What?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "Here's the topic," and he goes, "Well, that sounds really interesting." And I said, "I said, yeah, I I got a plan," and he's like, "Okay, well, you know, you only have a year," and I said, "Yeah, don't worry about it. Like, we'll get it done," and so I got. Um, I got his colleague Rip together, a mentor of mine and Andy, who now we have the podcast um, that we're doing. And then Heather was one of one of my professors at the time, and we had all been student athletes. And um, I got us got us all together, got a game plan together, and we wrote the book in five and a half months. And then, little did I know that the publishing process took a year and a half. But uh, but Norm failed to tell me that when I when <laughs> when I brought the idea to him. So right. um, 2018 in January it came out. And uh, we got into 10 schools and, you know, from the start and, and, and getting it in front of student athletes. And, you know, for us, it was uh, it was a way to, you know, we actually it was interesting because like, we talked to a bunch of different schools. They're like, man, you're ahead of the game. Like, we don't even have a way to implement this yet. Um, and so it was one of those things. It's, it's interesting. It's like it's not a problem unless it's unless it's a problem. But the problem is that the problem isn't a problem. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like the problem, the problem isn't a problem because it's not a problem to those who, you know, are in it. And so, um, however, there's been a lot, I think that has been, you know, publicized or been talked about in the last, you know, year or so. I know the NCAA is definitely making, making strides towards, um, uh, kind of the mental wellness and the student athlete success piece and, and all that sort of stuff. So there's definitely, some progress there, which is good to see. Absolutely. Now, you, you know, again, like I said, you had four you know, other co-authors that were on the book. How was that process? Was it, was there a good collaboration? Was it, you know, how was it? Cause I, I just wrote a book and you know, if I were to work with a bunch of people, maybe it would have been a good experience, but it seemed like, you know, there could be like too many cooks in the kitchen at the time. How was that process? <laughs> Yeah, so I would say that I was the chef, and uh, <laughs> and then everyone else was kind of was helping, and it was one of those things where like 
at the time I was in grad school, they all had full-time jobs. They were looking to me to run the ship, right? And then um, they were going to contribute however they could. And what was interesting is to this day, the five of us have still only gotten on two conference calls all together at the same time. Wow. Uh, and we wrote one of one of the conference calls was before the book was published. One was after to figure out how to sell it more. <laughs> um, so, you know, collaboration, I think, can come in a lot of different forms. Uh, everything with us was done via email, which is amazing because there's so many things that can get misconstrued or or read the wrong way in an email nowadays. And, you know, you, you copy everyone on everything. And one, one of them at some point had to have been like, seriously, like how many emails am I going to get about all this? <laughs> um, you know, but I think, I think that speaks to the talent and the caliber of, of the authors that we had and the group that we had, because I mean, to only have literally talked on the phone for an hour with the five of us once. And, Still to this day, which is actually interesting, I've never met Rick in person, um, and which is fascinating because like a lot of relationships, you have to meet someone in person to have a good relationship. But Rick and I have a great relationship, wow. so it's it's one of those it's it's an odd it's an odd thing, but hey, we got it done. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, and again, you and I were talking about this before the show, but uh, you know the, the power of technology. And uh, the fact that the email uh, was such an instrumental tool for you guys to all co collaborate. So that, that's pretty cool. Now, I'm interested about the, obviously, the title, The 20 Secrets to Success. Share uh, a secret or two that, that was meaningful to you or that you think is very important through this process when you're not going to go pro coming out of college. Yeah, sure. So I would say the first secret, um, and, and I'll explain this, the, the first 10 are how to succeed as a student athlete. The second 10 are how to transition out of sport and into life. Um, so one of the first 10 secrets is how to create a plan. Um, I, I, I like to use the, the quote of um, a plan, plan, what is it? It's a uh, failure to plan is failing the failing the Something of that sort. Uh, I mean, there's a, um, I'll get this right, but it's planning to fail is failing to plan. And um, for for us, it was, you got to create a plan of where, like, create yourself a roadmap, right? Like, where are you going? Your roadmap's going to change. You're going to make some right turns. You're going to make some left turns. You're going to um, go fast at sometimes. You're going to stop at others. And, you know, you're going to figure out what that looks for, like for you, but, but create, at least create a map and a, and uh, a plan for what you want to achieve. And then I would say from a transition perspective, so you've got that plan in place, but then it's really finding your passion and your identity, um, in the transition piece. And that's, that's going to also help you create your plan post, you know, playing. Um, and it's finding that identity of who, who you are, what your passions are outside of, um, even work, right? So like I work in sports, but I got to have other passions outside of just working, you know, at the PGA tour or working, you know, for Purdue athletics or, or wherever I've been. Um, you know, I like to, I, I love doing the podcasts to do with life in the front office and, um, you know, being able to share insights with those in the industry. I love, uh, writing. I love doing yoga. Like there's all sorts of other things I'm actually going to start teaching in the spring. And, and so you, 
you got to find those other things that fill your tank. Uh, I always, that's kind of one thing that I was always taught was like filling your E tank, right? It was, it was what's going to fill you not only emotionally, but, but, um, with your energy to, you know, pursue every day, um, and get better, like I was talking about. And so, uh, it's, it's finding that passion and ultimately, you'll find that through figuring out the identity piece, right? So once you figure out who you are and what you want to do, which is never easy. I mean, I can sit here and tell you that I still don't know what I want to do, right? But but you're trying to figure that out every day. Yeah. And, um, you know, ultimately, uh, well, like you hope you'll get there, <laughs> right? Yeah, least... well, it seems like you're on that path, um, in you know, and you're, and you're present to it. And, and who knows, it's uh, where it's going to take you and, you know, I'm huge on on playing a big game, and that's something that's a phrase I've been using for the last maybe five or six years. And it seems like you are playing a big game. And you know, you you brought up a couple words that I, I love is is passion, right? Um, to me, like, I there's a cool actually a cool definition. Uh, Coach Fleck from University of uh, Minnesota, the football football oh. coach. Yeah, he he brought up the. I just read something a few weeks ago about passion, and he's like, "Passion is when purpose and love collide." And I was like, "Wow!" So as you're talking about, you know, purpose, you know, passion, uh, and 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 getting connected to what you want and getting that road, you know, that map and that plan. That's it's huge. I mean, it seems easy to do, but you gotta you gotta actually design it and then execute it and trust it. Uh, and it seems like you've been doing that. Um, I, I do want to actually bring up your podcast because I was on it just a few weeks ago, and it's awesome. And it's called Life in the Front Office. So tell tell my listeners a little bit about the podcast, why you created it, and where they can hear it. Yeah, absolutely. So as as going through someone who's young in the career of, of sports and um, lucky and fortunate enough to have uh, a lot of mentors in the industry, uh, three of my mentors and I have created a podcast where we bring on guests across the industry, um, Rick Welts, Bruce Bowen, Todd Lewecki, you know, CEOs and, and executives of sports organizations, um, former players, and then also, you know, people who are like myself, where they're kind of still finding their way in the industry and, and but still doing really great things, right? And and um, at that level in which, you know, sometimes you can relate to the CEOs giving great advice, and then sometimes you can't. Um, sometimes you, you relate better to someone who's 30 and, and going through the, you know, the management route or, or wherever they are in their career. And maybe they've moved three times or whatever the case might be. You might be able to learn something different from them. And so, uh, we bring on different guests to, uh, weekly every Monday, we release an episode with a new guest, uh, whether it's with just myself or whether it's myself and, and a co-host of Pat or an Andy and Fred or Rick. And, and so we, um, we really just want to provide insights and advice to those who are either in the industry currently or those who want to get into the industry. It's such an industry that's sought after to get into. Um, but you, and you get, and when you're in the industry, you get it, you get asked all the time, how do I get in? How do I get my foot in the door? And, and so that was one of those things that I, um, just as you kind of, I guess as a student athlete, when you're transitioning out, like no one ever tells you how to do it. Right. <laughs> right. Like you have to go and ask for that advice and, I would say the sports industry and getting in is the same thing. It's, you've got to go ask, create the connections, figure out how to get in. Like it's, 
it's a who you know world and just as anywhere else is um and it's and it's figuring out how to you know again create a plan and create a path for yourself right yeah you know, same thing with me when i got into the into my field into sports psychology it was you know with having the sales background for 17 years i i knew how to hustle and get after it and do business development but I didn't know where to go. And so that was the thing. Like at first I was reaching out to people that were in the field. I'm like, so who do I call? Like, where do I, where do I go to like, let them know who I am. And it was just funny. Cause a lot of people would say, well, just show up just show up and, and just reach out to people. I'm like, yeah, I need something a little bit more, has more structure to it. And, you know, and because I've had those, the sales background, it helped me. It helped me to actually go, okay, I got to put a plan together. And I figured out, like, what is the best way to get to the right people, whether if they are the decision makers, whether if they are the influencers, I actually now have a better idea and plan. And so now the younger people that are asking me that, you know, they just got their, you know, got through their grad program for sports psychology. What do I do? How do I do it, Grant? So now I'm, I'm taking my experience and pushing it down to them and, and making sure that it's a little more seamless. They, you know, they have a little bit of a playbook because uh, I didn't really have one when I got out of my grad program. No, absolutely. And that's what we're trying to do as well. And and for me, like, you, it's never too early to give back. Like, I think a lot of people think that, you know, you got to have achieved something, you know, super significant or great to be able to give back. And it's not it's not true. Like you, you can at any point in time, you can give back to other people, um, even if they're, you know, a year or two behind or even if they're older. Like there's some people who reach out that are older than me and they're like, how do I get in? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> hey, let's see if I can help you. You yep, know, and totally. age doesn't matter. It's just a matter of you know, being, uh, being a people person, like wanting to connect others and try and figure out how to, how to help others create a path for themselves. For sure. Absolutely. So one more question here before we sign off. Um, this is, I love this question and it's, uh, I, I guess you would call it a deep question, but, uh, when you reflect on your whole career, so as an athlete, uh, in the workplace, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? That's a great question. Um, you know, I th it's interesting. Like I tell my friends all the time, I think I'm one who reflects almost too much and maybe to a fault, right? There's some people who don't reflect at all. And I think that that's, that's something that, you know, for whatever reason, they don't want to, or they don't know how to, or whatever. I probably reflect too much. And uh, when I think back on my, my athletic career, I, quite frankly, it was a failure uh, from like a success standpoint. If you look at the stats and, and the playing time and all that stuff, like it, well, I didn't succeed. But what I did succeed at is being able to set myself up for for life and being able to set myself up for, you know, being, um, you know, being able to have the skill sets and the experiences to build on one another and set myself up with a plan and. You know, it's one of those things where I get there's a fine balance between being present and then also having a plan for the future. Right. Like I I could I could try and plan out my life for the next 10 years. None of that's going to come true to some extent. But I also have to be present. Right. But I also still at the same time need to know where I want to go. And so there's kind of that balance of you know, understanding that you are where you are right now. Be where your feet are. Right. And try and get better every day. Like I like I referred to earlier. There's also that point in which you want to, you know, 
if someone ever, which comes up in an interview all the time, where do you want to be in five years, right? Like, or someone asks you, where do you want to be in five years? Like, uh, you have a place where you want to be, but you know for a fact that there's going to be things that pop up or happen or injuries or roadblocks or whatever it is, things that just happen in life that are going to prevent you from getting there. And, or if you get there, you might have taken a totally different path than you thought you would have taken. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's the one thing that I've learned from this journey so far is, you know, you can plan, you can be present, but at the end of the day, it's just how you deal with adversity and what your mindset is going into every day. That's ultimately, um, going to help you just trust the process. I know we didn't, t- we didn't dive into that a ton, but it's, you know, I'm a big believer in just trusting the process. Um, again, finding your identity, finding your passion, creating a plan and trusting the process and, you know, um, things will happen. Things will figure itself out. Absolutely. I'm a huge believer in that. It's, um, you know, process drives results and we, we just have to honor it and trust it. Even when, even when it seems, uh, maybe you're off path or maybe, you know, you're whatever the, the conditions are around you, you have to trust the process. And if you're showing up every day and you're, you're, you're passionate about what you're doing, um, and you know what the plan is. I mean, it's good. You just got to keep doing it, man. You just gotta keep chopping the tree. It, it will fall down. You just got to keep doing it. Well, and you go from one tree to the next, right? I mean, yeah. it's not just because you accomplish one thing doesn't mean you can't accomplish more. So, uh, there's always another tree to chop down. Absolutely. So how do my listeners, how do they follow you on social media? How do they buy your book? And then again, how do they listen to your podcast? So the book can be found on Amazon. Again, 20 Secrets to Success for NCAA student-athletes who won't go pro. Um, Funny enough, uh, I don't have social media. All I have is LinkedIn, so please connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm I'm big on being present, not uh, not having kind of that other identity out in the in the world. Um, It's that's a that's a topic for a whole other conversation, Grant. And uh, and then. Uh, podcast wise, Apple Podcasts, uh, search Life in the Front Office and um, find us on Spotify, uh, Anchor, etc. So please uh, leave a review, listen, share with your colleagues. I uh, would appreciate it. Beautiful. Well, Jake, thanks for sharing your story and you know your mindset and just kind of how your experiences have developed you and taken you up to this point in your life. Uh, I think there's a lot of great stories, great lessons from from your journey. And and again, thank you for sharing your energy and your story and being on my show. Thanks, Grant. I appreciate the opportunity. Enjoyed it. Uh, always, always enjoy the conversation and uh, looking forward to what uh, 2020 has in store. Mm-hmm.